We've all lived moments of anticipated hope and celebration, followed by all too often disappointment and discouragement. The human experience expects and hopes for a day when those disappointments make sense and are even made right and maybe just maybe even what we hoped for actually happens. The story of the week before Easter is just such a story, a story of anticipated hope and celebration, followed by disappointment and discouragement before what we hoped for actually happens. We offer you the history of what happened the week that Jesus died in all its anticipated glory and disappointment. We will leave with a sense of having to wait, that we know Easter is coming, a good and true experience that we often have to wait. I hope that you can do that both alone and together. I'm Dave Wilson, and I'll be reading you passages from the Bible that carry us through the week. I'm Megan Hackman, and I'll be interpreting the history of Jesus through our own experiences of hope and disappointment. If you're joining us in Port Orchard on Good Friday, we'll start together downtown at the waterfront, walk up to the county jail, and back down near the town hall. The house at 703 Kitsap Street will be open for you to process this experience together at the end if you'd like. If you're not with us, set out on a one-mile walk up a hill if that's available to you. Don't rush through this. We are in a moment in human history that's full of disappointment and waiting. This is an invitation to wait, but to do so either alone or together, so that God can write an ending we didn't expect that will be actually better. Let's begin our walk and reflection. We begin on the week of Easter, seven days before the resurrection. It begins on a raucous day of anticipated hope and celebration in the form of a spontaneous parade where everyone cries out the hope for a king who is worthy, who finally ascends the throne. Matthew 21. See, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest heaven! When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Hosanna means save us. And the exuberant cries and palm branches and crowd participation all lead us to believe that if you were in the crowd today, you were ready and hopeful that this Jesus would be the one to rescue you from the tyranny of unjust rule, to usher in a new way of life, and to fulfill all you'd ever hoped for. Imagine being the one running home to find a flag to wave, 
taking off your jacket to cover the muddy street for Jesus to walk on. Imagine your voice going hoarse from shouting, Hosanna! What hopes did you once hold with this kind of excitement? didn't go the way the people thought. Jesus did not raise an army to ascend a throne. Instead, he seemed to do a whole lot of talking and healing, and he said things people did not expect. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple, and he healed them. Truly, I tell you, if you have faith and do not doubt, not only can you do what was done to the fig tree, but also you can say this to the mountain, Go, throw yourself into the sea, and it will be done. If you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. Jesus said to them, Truly, I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. Therefore, I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He said to his servants, The wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. So go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. For many are invited, but few are chosen. Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. So you must be careful to do everything they tell you. But do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin. But you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who killed the prophets and stoned those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. 
For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Therefore keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Truly, I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Rather than becoming the most popular king who ever was, Jesus succeeded in making just about everyone angry. He was undoing their expectations of a king. His aim wasn't to win friends and influence people. His aim was to demonstrate God's radical sense of justice and love, which required an undoing and a criticism of the systems of the world and speaking out against the lack of love that he saw in individual hearts. All of a sudden, people turned on this king. Instead of, Hosanna, save us, there became a strong undercurrent in the people of power who cried out, crucify him, kill him instead. What have you expected God to do and say? When Jesus had finished saying all these things, he said to his disciples, As you know, the Passover is two days away, and the Son of Man will be handed over to be crucified. 
Then the chief priests and the elders of the people assembled in the palace of the high priest, whose name was Caiaphas, and they schemed to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the festival, they said, or there may be a riot among the people. Jesus managed to make the wrong people angry while simultaneously disappointing the crowds who had hoped that Jesus would be the one to set them free from the Roman government. Instead, it appeared that Jesus had prioritized teaching about a kingdom they could not see and healing the people on the margins. A critical moment was coming when the depth of people's disappointment would overlap with the writhing anger of the religious leaders, jealous of Jesus' popularity and fearful that his way would change their ways. That culminates at the end of a week of a festival in which the Roman government would pardon a favorite Jewish criminal to delight the crowds and crucify a most loathed enemy. Jesus knows this is the moment when he will die. He will do this out of his own willingness, not to appease humanity, but to save humanity. God the Father wants a holy people, and we are not holy. So Jesus will sacrifice himself to make us holy. He will be the willing, unblemished sacrifice for the sake of recreating a way for us and God to be directly in one another's presence. The brutality of his unjust death will be sufficient payment for all the unjust ways we live and think and treat one another and God. This sacrifice had been required ever since the first people experienced shame. Animals were slain and their skins used to cover our nakedness. No more. This one sacrifice of one man, the God-man, the perfect Son of God, the King, God himself, will be sufficient to cover all our shame for all time. We will be able to walk with God again. And that hope compels Jesus to this will of the Father, the will that would exchange a perfect sacrifice in order to love and be with us all. Jesus has this hope set before him when he endures the cross. It is this hope of being with you and me forever that enables him to despise the shame of what he will endure Thursday night into Friday. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane and said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Jesus spent Thursday night in prayer. His friend, Judas, had betrayed him to the Romans. He arrived with a Roman guard, and Jesus spent Thursday night into Friday morning in courtyards, what would be today's jail, being unjustly tried and tortured. Early in the morning, all the chief priests and the elders of the people made their plans how to have Jesus executed. 
So they bound him, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate, the governor. Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? You have said so, Jesus replied. When he was accused by the chief priests and the elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate asked him, Don't you hear the testimony they are bringing against you? But Jesus made no reply, not even to a single charge, to the great amazement of the governor. Now it was the governor's custom at the festival to release a prisoner chosen by the crowd. At that time, they had a well-known prisoner whose name was Jesus Barabbas. So when the crowd had gathered, Pilate asked them, Which one do you want me to release to you? Jesus Barabbas or Jesus who is called the Messiah? For he knew it was out of self-interest that they had handed Jesus over to him. While Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent him this message. Don't have anything to do with that innocent man, for I have suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus executed. Which of the two do you want me to release to you? asked the governor. Barabbas, they answered. What shall I do then with Jesus who is called the Messiah? Pilate asked. They all answered, Crucify him. Why? What crime has he committed? asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, Crucify him. Then he released Barabbas to them. But he had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. The governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him, and then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand, then they knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hail, King of the Jews, they said. They spit on him and took the staff and struck him on the head again and again. After they had mocked him, they took off the robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him away to crucify him. And sitting down, they kept watch over him there. Above his head, they placed the written charge against him. This is Jesus, the King of the Jews.
From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, He's calling Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar, put it on a staff, and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. When the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, Surely he was the Son of God. This was not the kingship the disciples had hoped for. Jesus' ascension was not to a throne, but to a cross. His crown was not of gold, but of thorns. The ascension of the king of heaven was onto a cross of suffering and sacrifice. His friends had hoped for power and justice. This looked like the opposite. Not only were they grieved to be losing their friend, but in all honesty, they were disappointed. Two friends a couple of days later will say, We had hoped that he was the one who was going to set Israel free. 
Instead, as Friday ends, the only thing left for his friends to do is descend the hill where Jesus was crucified and return to their homes to sit out this Saturday of rest together. They don't yet know that at the moment of his death, in the moment his spirit was released from his body, that the curtain in the temple that separated God and the priest was ripped. Access to God was granted in that moment. They don't yet know that people came back to life. Death was defeated. They don't yet know. As evening approached, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who had himself become a disciple of Jesus. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body, and Pilate ordered that it be given to him. Joseph took the body, wrapped it in a clean linen cloth, and placed it in his own new tomb that he had cut out of the rock. He rolled a big stone in front of the entrance to the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting there opposite the tomb. What are you waiting for? Thank you for joining us on this Good Friday walk. This story is left with a major cliffhanger. Easter Sunday is the morning the followers of Jesus got a big surprise. We invite you to join us for the end of the story, the one the followers of Jesus did not know to hope for, but that we see rewritten over and over again in the best of literature and in the deepest hopes of our hearts, a story of resurrection, of power through sacrifice of love, and of joy. Go to kitsaphouse.org for the details of how to join us on Sunday or look for a local church. 
Thank you for listening. We end our gatherings with a benediction, or a blessing. Receive this word of hope from Jesus, the final sentence of the book of Matthew. You can be sure that I am with you to the very end. This has been a presentation of the Kitsap House podcast. The Good Friday Celebration Walk was written by Megan Hackman. Edited and produced by David Wilson. Original music by Dave Thomas. Check out more at davethomas3.bandcamp.com. If you enjoyed our presentation, subscribe, then send it to a friend. Our next podcast will be Easter Sunday. For further information, log on to kitsaphouse.org. For everyone here at Kitsap House, thank you and God bless. Thank you.